make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. If you were to ask maybe the average American, you could probably even go a little further and say if we were to ask the average Christian, maybe we could ask you this morning how many of the Ten Commandments you could actually name. Most people would not be able to do it. Maybe it's because they've never read this particular passage. By the way, is our little machine on up here? Okay, okay, I just wanted to make sure. I apologize, I forgot to ask about that earlier. But if you were to ask people, what is a commandment? What is expected when we read this commandment? And people will normally tell you, well, whatever they are, I just know we're supposed to obey them. It's almost like the round circular logic. Well, what do you believe? Well, I believe what my church believes. What does your church believe? Well, my church believes what my pastor believes. Well, what does your pastor believe? Why, he believes just like me. (laughs) And the same thing is true within the Ten Commandments. Now, I believe that in the scriptures we come to this, what is also known as the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. This is only a uh, a small section, if you will, of all of the commandments that were given. Does anybody know how many commandments were actually given to the children of Israel? I'm sorry? 613 commandments were actually given to the children of Israel. Can you imagine having to have something on the wall that shows 613 commandments? Of course, most of the commandments actually only apply to the nation of Israel or to the Jewish people. And even today, while the Ten Commandments are given for our learning, we have a greater command, and this is what we are going to look at later on by, uh, by focusing on this this morning, and that is the commands that were given by the Lord Jesus Christ. What were those two commands that actually supersede the commands that were given by Moses? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And the second is likened to it. Love yourself. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says love your neighbor as the word in there is actually as you already love yourself. You see, in the world today, we have a big problem and that is for all of earth's history just about, we have come full circle where before we knew what happened with Adam and Eve and it was a pride issue. It was a pride issue with the evil one and Lucifer fell from heaven 
and everybody thought too much of themselves. The angels thought too much of themselves and a full third of them actually fell from heaven. But now several centuries, a millennium later, we find that people don't think apparently enough of themselves and that's the reason why the world has fallen apart. You're told, whether it's on TV or news media or the, 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 the education system, they tell you, love yourself, forgive yourself, think more highly of yourself. But the Bible is very clear. No, we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We are to think of others first. Maybe those of you who remember from Sunday school class or those of you who may have sung the little song, J-O-Y, when you were growing up, do you remember what it stands for? The J is for Jesus. The O is others. And Y, or the last one, is for you, yourself. J-O-Y. From the records of ancient civilization to the laws of our modern culture and civilization, there's a common thread that resounds with each person. It won't leave them alone, and it haunts every person who has ever lived or who will ever live. From a human perspective, each culture has resorted to establishing a set of punishments for those who seek to break the common thread that keeps humanity in line. For example, it doesn't matter what stone, if you find a tribe that's still living in a Stone Age existence, they still have a set of laws that are to be obeyed. These did not come by evolution. They came because it is built into the heart of man. The conscience that is within man tells him when he is offending a holy God, it tells him when he is offending another person or another individual. One of my favorite missionary books from years ago was one called Peace Child by a missionary by the name of Don Richardson. Along with Peace Child, he wrote another book called Lords of the Earth. These are books that are still available. I would highly recommend them to you. But in these existences or in these tribes which lived in a Stone Age existence, very much you would have maybe a first world country. In Liberia, we would have had a third world, what they consider a third world country. But then you still have some that live in a Stone Age existence, which would be, by, according to some anthropologists, maybe a fourth world existence. But if you go into these tribes, one of the things that Don Richardson found as he wrote is that God had written eternity on the hearts of those individuals. And even as the missionaries came in, they found that the laws that were in place, these people lived in fear of breaking these commands. They didn't know who they were disappointing. They didn't know whose commands they were ultimately breaking. But when they found out that it was God's commands, the one who created all things, it began to change the way that they viewed one another. And eventually there were many of them that came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you were to find and visit a tribe in this type of environment, you will find that very little has changed with respect to this particular facet of human history or literature. From a divine perspective, the common thread only serves to prove that God is indeed true and every man a liar. It also points to an unfathomable doom that is reserved for each person who disobeys deity. 
some would seek to undermine this thread, and this thread that we are speaking about, of course, is the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Some would seek to say that it is simply a mere set of standards. You can set up whatever standards you want in your life and you can follow them as long as you are a good moral person. The problem is that it is impossible to be good and it is impossible to be moral without the God of the morals. Others hold such importance to these Ten Commandments that the working of grace is reduced to something that is unattainable. Others may repeat the same lines and explanations accompanying these lines with little study or understanding. In other words, what we are speaking about here is when the Ten Commandments are given, unfortunately, in a lot of maybe Sunday school classes that you have been in down through the years, uh, you were to ask, what are the Ten Commandments? Well, what is the Ten Commandment? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill anybody. And all that shows is that we truly do not understand what God meant when he gave the Ten Commandments. This thread is common to all mankind. Again, known as the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, these were presented to Moses where? On Mount Sinai. It was given to him directly by the hand of God. And whether you and I agree or not about how they arrived or about the level of their importance or whether we are bound by them or not, no rational person, I believe here this morning, would disagree that they have become the foundation of each culture. You can go to a number of capitals here in America and what will you find out front? Well, maybe up until this last woke culture uh, got a hold of them and removed a lot of the, the statues that were out front. But what did you find? The Ten Commandments. Something representing that there was something that was underlying the entire justice system. Because if you were to take all of this away, what would you have left? Nothing but anarchy. Even these tribes, as we mentioned, who live in a Stone Age existence have had through some kind of oral transference. They have been called to account those laws which do and could descend from God alone. You see, no culture in all of history, no tribal people, no group of people ever existed on this planet that ever came to a sense of morality by simply evolving. We understand that there are many more than just Ten Commandments. However, all of the commands of God, and I know some of you may be trying to figure this out, how short is this series going to be? 613 commands. But these commands of God actually found here in the Ten Commandments, we can divide them into two distinct patterns. If you are taking notes, um, you will see in the bulletin there is the introduction to the Decalogue, and I'm going to give you some additional items that you can write down this morning. The first four deal with the relationship that man has with God. In other words, from the very first one that we have here. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What is God doing here? He is reminding them, just like we found out about Daniel in the, in the Sunday school hour, that God is still in control. In other words, you didn't get to where you're at right now apart from me. 
I'm the one who took care of the Egyptians. I'm the one who took care of Pharaoh and all of his army. I'm the one who opened and parted the Red Sea for you to be able to walk through. I did all of those things. And because it was me, I also give you breath to breathe, air to live with, and I set the rules. You see, nowhere do we find anywhere in Scripture that God ever sought the counsel of man to determine what laws he was going to put in place. He doesn't need your help or mine. The last six of the commandments deal with the relationship that man has with and toward other people. For example, what are one of the ones that we always tell the young people? What are one of the commands? Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. This is the first command as it relates to the relationship that we have with one another. And the Lord Jesus Christ, or through the Holy Spirit, allows that to be built on when we get to the book of Ephesians, for example, in the New Testament, where we're told what kind of a relationship we are to have with one another. But with the Lord being our helper, I want us to give prayerful thought and consideration to the Decalogue this morning. Here's the problem, point number one on your notes, the problem. There is a major flaw in man's thinking today. Are these words only given to us when they appear in itemized format in Exodus chapter 20? No, I don't believe they are. I believe we see them right from the beginning and letter A on your notes is where did these first appear? So the appearance of the commands. The commands that appear before Moses when he goes up to Mount Sinai and communes with God are simply an, a, a way for God to be able to have these put down in written format so that the Jews would be able to follow something in writing. The first chapters of Genesis, for example, deal with God's desire of worship of himself alone. In fact, we find this same pattern in the New Testament. In the beginning, God. You could pause right there. In the beginning, God, Brother Diego. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God was the Word. God is the Word. God does all of these things by and for His own glory, not for us. We find the issue of marriage. Again, one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder, which is actually what the word there is. And we will look at that when we come to that particular command. Lying or covetousness are just a few of the commandments in the beginning. What was it that uh, uh, Cain and Abel, for example, what did they get in trouble for? Or what did Cain get in trouble for? Not sacrificing correctly. He was covetous of the relationship that Abel had with God because Abel brought the right sacrifice. Cain said, no, I'm going to bring what I made of my own hands and I expect God to accept it. And unfortunately, that's what we have even within maybe evangelicalism or with, within modern day Christianity. We think that we can bring whatever worship we want. We can change whatever commands we want. We can pick and choose the ones that we like. The other ones that we don't like, we'll just get rid of. But in the appearance of the commands for the sake of time, we're not going to break this down. But Genesis chapter 1 verse or chapter 1 through chapter 3, establishes that God is the beginning of all things. We find the Lord Jesus Christ, again, the first fruits of those who slept in Colossians chapter 1. So we find this coming full circle from the beginning of time 
until the Lord Jesus Christ came and established his church or his bride here on this earth. And here's what God is pointing out. With these commands, he is showing that he is to be worshipped. That he will not permit other things to be placed ahead of himself. Now, if you will notice when you come in in the morning before the service, you will notice that we have bulletins that are talking about different part of it. It's talking about different countries. Today it was French Polynesia and Gabon. And we can look at places like Gabon in West Africa where they may have some 200 or 300 different gods or goddesses that they worship. Do you know in India today, India has over 8 million different gods that they worship, named gods. 8 million. And so we think, oh, those poor people, those poor heathen over there in those foreign countries, and yet we come to church on a Sunday and we wonder where those who claim the name of Christ are actually at sometimes on a Sunday morning. Because instead of being here in God's house with God's people, what are they doing? They're worshiping their own God. They have chosen something that is more important to them than God. Genesis chapter 2, we find God's order for marriage, which by default excludes adultery as permissible behavior. So when he talks about this in Exodus chapter 20, he is simply reestablishing what God has set up. God was the one that ordained marriage, not government. And that's why we find the trouble that we are in today. That's why we have things like the Marriage Act that was signed into law in 2013 that says you can marry whoever, whatever you want to be, whoever you want to be. If you want to be one of 82 or 87 or 153 different genders and you want to do that in rebellion against the Most High God, then you are free to do so. And by the way, those of you who don't believe that and you choose to believe God, that God created man and woman, only two genders, I just wanted to let you know that you're a bigot. But here's the good news. You're in agreement with God, so that puts you in the majority. You see, it doesn't matter what the world's laws are. It doesn't matter what they choose to pass. They can pass in every single one of the 197 countries around the world. They will pass those laws and they will still stand condemned before God. We were reading in Psalm chapter 2 this morning in our prayer time downstairs. Why did the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth sat themselves together against the Lord and against his anointed. And the Bible says that God laughs at them. He mocks them. He holds them in derision. And then it says that he pours out his fury upon them. Now I want to be honest about something. That's not something that you and I have reason to rejoice in. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would find ourselves doing the exact same thing. In fact, before we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our very lives were a mockery to the Most High God. In Genesis chapter 4, we find that there is a penalty for murdering another person, for lying to God about the actions that were taken. What happened with Adam and Eve in the garden? As soon as God comes down, he's coming down for fellowship just like he does every single night. 
comes down in the cool of the evening. Adam and Eve are nowhere to be found. Do you think that God's over there wringing his hands at the entrance to the garden? Where did they go tonight? I'm sure they were here yesterday. No, he knew exactly where they were. And just as he is doing today with you and I, he is giving us the opportunity to be able to admit what God already knows about you and I. You see, if I were you, I would not be worried about who's sitting beside you or around you or in front of you or behind you because when we get to heaven, we will have to stand before God. He will either be our savior or he will be our judge. There's no other options. And if we stand before him as our judge, you won't have anybody standing with you. You will stand on your own and you will stand condemned because your very life stands condemned before God. You can try to be as good as you want to be and it will never measure up to the perfect standard which was Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Christ takes the understanding of the law to another level and it infuriated the religious leaders and the Pharisees. You see, it wasn't given to Moses for external purposes. It wasn't given for when he came down off the mountain. He says, okay, now if you follow these 10 commandments and you do 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, if you do all of those, then you'll stand righteous before God. That's not why the law was given. The law was given to be able to show mankind, beginning with the Jewish nation, how far separated they were from God. How far removed they were from the holiness of God. When you go, if you have never read the Ten Commandments besides on a poster on a wall, I encourage you to start in in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, and read down through verse 20. And then look at yourself and say, if I have failed in one of these, James chapter 2, verse 10, I have failed in all of them. That's the standard the perfect standard. Again, we go back to Daniel. And in Daniel, in Daniel, we find Nebuchadnezzar and, and there's an interesting path, this progression that Nebuchadnezzar is on. Uh, first, he, he begins, he goes through the dream and, and he sees this big statue with a head of gold. And by chapter three, he's decided some eight years later, he's going to build a statue of gold. And it wasn't enough just to have a head of gold. He wants the whole statue to be of gold. And we have to find, or we find that Nebuchadnezzar eventually has to be humbled before God. And it's only when he lifts up his eyes to heaven in chapter 4 at the end of the passage, we find that his reason returns unto him. You see, this is the reason that God gives us the Ten Commandments. It's to show us how far we have fallen so that we find that there is only one hope. Because if my hope was, well, I haven't broken number seven or eight or nine or ten, but I've kept one through six, well, what if you've kept one, two, three, four, five, and seven, but you've broken six, eight, nine, and ten? Who sets the standard when we get to heaven? When we stand before God and he says, well, uh, Brother Bruce, you, you didn't break as many as Mark did, so I think I should let you into my heaven. Would that be fair and just to God? Or would that be fair and just to the rest of the world? No, it wouldn't. Only if we keep them perfectly. And the only person that could was Jesus. 
So somebody, therefore, has to take the exchange or somebody has to stand in our place and say, I did this for them. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He looked down. God the Father looks down through time. He knows the Lord Jesus Christ is going to go. He's going to be the perfect sacrifice. And when God the Son lays aside His glory, comes down to this earth, He knows that He is standing in for people that can't keep the law. The Bible is very clear. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners not good people. So when the Pharisees, they're patting themselves on the back every time they see Jesus and they're thinking, yep, I did break number seven. Didn't break number eight. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Have you ever hated anybody? Jesus says, if you have hated somebody, it's the same as murder. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees are starting to look for a hole to hide in. Have you ever lusted after somebody? The Bible says it's the same as adultery. Have you ever had covetousness in your heart? Have you ever wanted something that doesn't belong to you? Uh, for example, let me, give you an, let, let me give you a little illustration. We drive down the road and, and, and my girls both like different kind of vehicles just like my boys did. Thankfully, they're not driving yet. If they are, you see them on the road, run, scatter, go to a different road. And they'll say, Wow, that sure is a nice car or a nice truck. I sure wish I had. You know what you've done? You've just violated the commands of God. You say, surely you, you can't be serious. Surely that's not what the scriptures are referencing. Yes, that's exactly what they're referencing. God says even the thoughts of our mind are abominations before him. The Savior made it clear that all of the commandments can be summed up in the two great laws which we have already gone over. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. The first or greatest law is found in the first four of Exodus 20. The second law is summed up in the last six of chapter 20. So let's look secondly at the access to the commands. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For the invisible things of him for the, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. What does that say? So that they are, what does it say in your Bible? Without excuse. Nebuchadnezzar, no excuse. Adam and Eve, no excuse. You and I, no excuse. Sodom and Gomorrah, no excuse. When God came down and told Noah to build the ark, 120 years he's building these ark. He is preaching of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Those people that died outside of the ark, God was just and right to bring judgment upon them. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that one day the, the second or this world is not going to be destroyed again by a flood. 
I'm thankful for that. But the Bible is very clear that the next judgment that is coming is going to be a fire so hot that it will even melt the elements that are found inside the earth. The world is without excuse. Humanity cannot claim the laws that God sets out to establish are his own. These don't belong to one particular nation. Boy, how far have we come in the so-called march to justice. We have social justice and black justice and Native American justice and Asian justice and we have all of these different type of justices. What we need to do is get back to biblical justice. Man cannot claim that he is not aware of the supreme creator who gave the laws any more than you can take a look at a watch and say, well, it's amazing. This watch just fell into place one day and here we have a watch. Even Cain knew he had sinned against both God and his brother, even though there were no written laws that were in existence. Am I my brother's keeper, he asked. Yes. You see, because Cain not only sinned against God by worshiping something and putting something higher than God, but he did not love his neighbor as himself. Your closest neighbor is the people that you live with. Every group of people that have ever existed have either had written or oral laws. And all of these, without one exception, find themselves as a direct or an indirect result of what was originally given by God. If you go to a third world country and you walk into a headhunter where there was a bunch of headhunters like Don Richardson, for example, they knew that what they were doing was a violation of some standard. They just didn't know what standard. And the reason that happens is because somewhere down the line, somebody forgot to tell their children who forgot to tell their children and their children and their children. You know how many generations it takes to get away from God? Just one. If you stop telling the people who are important to you what God demands whether it's the justice or telling them what the standard is when it comes to sin. Sin is a separation from God because there's only sin and holiness. Only God is holy. Only God is perfect. This is why he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, Be ye holy for I am holy. Because it is written, Be ye holy for I am holy. We know we are all direct descendants of Noah's three sons. After the flood, the giving of animals as a blood sacrifice for the covering of sin was a factor of life. We know this from Hebrews chapter 9. Without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission, no forgiveness of sins. God established his demands. And it was the responsibility of each person. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility this morning to pass it on to our descendants. If we fail to tell our children, shame on us. I've shared this before and with Violet present as well. Her parents for years 
did the exact same thing and they told them, we are not going to tell you what God demands. We're not going to tell you or try to teach you about the Bible because when you grow up, you can make your own decisions about what you want to believe. And the results are clearly seen today. You have the responsibility to teach your children. If it is not passed on, either through willful ignorance or deliberate disobedience, it does not demean the necessity of obedience to God or to his commands. Drive down from here into town and go 65 miles an hour. We'll cover all the speed limits, signs, and you drive all the way down. If you manage to make it all the way into the center of town, doing 65 miles an hour, and the policeman stops you right downtown, and you tell him, I didn't see any speed limit signs. Are you going to get a ticket still? Mm -hmm. Yep. Because you can't claim ignorance of the law. My friend, please understand me this morning. You will never be able to stand before God and claim ignorance. You will know. Because he has written it upon the hearts of every man, woman, and child who's ever lived. You see, the obedience to God, it doesn't matter what the law has to say because the laws are fickle. The, the laws change because people don't like God and that's eventually why the laws are written the way that they are. Because if we can remove God from our circles, if we can remove God from our society, if we can remove God from our schools, we can allow children to do whatever they want to. We can teach them to live a morally depraved life. And then when they become college kids, they would do the exact same thing. And when they grow up and they want to do whatever they want, they want to live with somebody outside of wedlock or they want to do whatever it is. And then we wonder, why is the world falling apart? The world is not getting any better. Thirdly, the authority of the commands. We find the giving of the law. The law was given by God. Because there cannot be, as we said earlier, there cannot be a moral law without the one who gave the law in the first place. If there was no God, there would be no law to tell us what to do. Would you like to live in that type of a society where there are no laws? Or you make up the laws, whatever? I mean, you go to a college campus and ask them, do you hold or do you believe that there are actually any morals or any absolutes? And they will tell you, no. There are no absolutes. So if you don't like me and I don't like you, then I can simply kill you, right? Well, no, I don't like that law. So then we have to have some kind of a common law or common standard that says neither one of us can kill each other. We would live the way that they did in the book of Judges, which is described several times as every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Without the God of the morals, there are no absolutes and thus no morals. Anybody here seen the movie Time Changer? Okay, if you have not seen that movie, I would highly recommend you see it. In this movie, the main character says that it's acceptable to teach a little boy 
that it is wrong to steal marbles, but only do so by not telling him about the God who declared that it is wrong. In other words, he said, if you see a little boy stealing some marbles in the front yard, you can tell him, don't steal. After being given the ability to go forward in time from the late 1800s to the modern 20th century, he quickly has a change of heart and realizes the folly of trying to teach morals apart from God. And in this movie, he finds a, a, a little girl and she comes up and she does something that is wrong. I think she steals something and, and she turns around and she's disrespectful to him. And he says, well, you shouldn't do this. And she turns around and crosses her arms and says, says who? And she runs off and he thinks about it and he's pondering his, well, God said. That's who said. That's who set the standard. You see, if we understand that God is the one that sets the standard, we don't have to quibble about what that standard actually is. But now we're quibbling about who is right and who is wrong. We want to set up a standard that says, well, it can be whatever you want to. So now we have, and every week it seems like there's somebody else that's on the news who marries their computer, that marries a doll, that marries a dog, that marries a cat. Two men getting married to each other, two women getting married to each other. I'm surprised they haven't approved polygamy yet. I mean, it's coming. Spiritually, the heart of man is completely and totally depraved. He, he doesn't want the laws of God. He doesn't want what God has established, which is good. You see, the, the law is not meant for, for something because God doesn't have anything better to do than to ruin our day by telling us these Ten Commandments. They are there for a reason, and that is for us to live in a way that pleases Him. The laws are there to, to, to keep us safe, just like driving down the road. If, if I was going to leave here after church and we were going to go down to Albertsons and you think that that speed limit sign, there's actually like five of them between here and Albertsons, and if you think that those speed limit signs are only a suggestion, I'll let you go first. <laughs> Why are the laws there? They're there to keep us safe. The fulfilling of the law, Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, in the Sermon on the Mount, with Christ coming, he showed the only way to God was by keeping the law perfectly. It reminds me of the story of the man who gets stopped by the policeman and he's just driving with the flow of traffic. And he says, why did you stop me? He said, why didn't you stop the others? And the policeman thinks for a moment and he says, have you ever gone fishing? The man says, why, yes, I have. He says, did you ever catch them all? <laughs> no. He says the same way, I didn't catch them all, I caught you. And here's the problem. It doesn't matter what you've done this last week. It doesn't matter what your life has been like up to this point. The one who sees all, who knows all, is going to catch you. He's going to catch me. 
This is why we need somebody to stand in our behalf, the one who came and said, I came to fulfill the law. In fulfilling this law, Christ was able to be our sin bearer. Only a perfect person could become sin for the sinner. What is the penalty of breaking the law? Romans 3.23 For the wages of sin is death. And then 3.23 actually says For all have sinned. Is that you as well? Yes. Every society has a code of conducts. There are penalties that are associated with breaking those laws. But there's an impossibility in keeping the law. James chapter 2 verse 10. I've shared with you the account of Paul Zawolo in Liberia when I first went over there. and He tried to convince me that as long as he had kept at least 50% of the law, of the commandments of God, that God would allow him still to get into heaven. And so I said, well, would you be willing to take a test? And he said, yes. And so I went through some of the same ones that I've just gone through with you. Have you ever hated anybody? Yes, I have. There's one. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Yes, I have. There's two. By the time we got to number four of the, of the ten that he had broken, he said, no, don't go anymore. He said, don't, don't, don't go anymore. He says, I just can't bear it. He says, for the first time in my life, I realize that I am on my way to hell because I have broken God's command. A person who says, I am good because I have not murdered anyone. I mean, isn't that the standard that we have? We're not as bad as talk to somebody and say, who, name somebody who's bad. Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini. Saddam Hussein, what we should be doing is looking in the mirror and saying, you, you there in the mirror, you were destroyed before God. You have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Finally, the ability of the commands this morning is where we're going to stop. The ability of these commands that God gave is that it would bring forth death. Every time you turn around in the Old Testament from Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy and then you get into Joshua and the time of the judges and then you get into the last prophet being Samuel and then the kings. What was it that the children of Israel did? Every time they turned around, they did what? They worshipped idols. It wasn't good enough that God had done all of these things for them. And at the end of the day, the same God who delivered them is the one who had to bring punishment. Wages of sin is death. Even if we could strive with all of our being to keep the commands in their entirety, the purpose of the law is clear that those demands can't be kept. You see, from the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed, is there a time, is there one second of that entire day that you have not focused on worshiping God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? And if that is the case, you have violated his standard. 
You see, it would be easy if, if, if we wanted to be legalistic. I could say, don't do this and don't do that and have this in your home and don't have that and eat this and don't eat that and drink this and don't drink that. But that's not the standard. The standard is simply holiness before God. Not only does the standard bring forth death, but it has established a barrier between God and man. Romans chapter 3, there are none who seek after God. There, there are none who are righteous, no, not one. Your lips, your mouth, your eyes, everything about you says, I hate God apart from Jesus Christ. Not one person desires the truth of God's commands. And this barrier that is there, it can't be overcome by us simply conforming to a set of standards. No matter how good the standards are, no matter the amount of efforts that you may try to put in to adhere to them, you will always fail. It reminds me one last illustration of a man who decided he wanted to join a monastery. He was told that he could only say two words at the end of every year. He gets to the end of the first year and they bring him out of his cell and he's been reading his Bible and he's been seeking to live a good, holy life. And they ask him, what two words do you want to say? And he says, bad food. <laughs> okay, that's all you can say. Back in the cell he goes, another year he comes out and they say, is there anything you'd like to say? Remember, just two words, it's all you're allowed. And he thinks and thinks and he finally says, bed hard back in your cell, goes back in the cell and he comes back out at the end of the third year and they say, what two words would you like to say? And he says, I quit. <laughs> and the head monk says, well, we kind of expected that. All you've done is complain since you got here. <laughs> the set of standards are there. The set of standards are there for you and I to obey, to follow. But we can't do it. You can try, but even the two little words that you say at the end of the year will bring condemnation. The question you have to ask yourself is this, I know what God's standards are, do I seek to live by them or do I realize that I can only be found right in God's eyes because of Jesus Christ? That's the real truth. That's the hope that we have. This is what 1 Peter chapter 3 says, that we are to give an answer to everyone who asks of the reason of the hope. The hope that I have is not because I stand up front and wear a tie on Sunday. My hope is not found in, in something that I think I can do better than you. My hope is only found in Jesus Christ, His blood and righteousness. I dare not trust anything else. You better not dare trust anything else. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. This morning you're either trusting in sinking sand or you're standing on the solid rock. You can't have it both ways this morning.
stand together.